This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. A dramatic pause says something without saying anything at all. Feet deserve a go-to like that. Like Hey Dude Shoes. Light, comfy, good to go to. Do you import and export goods in and out of the UK? If so, then look no further for all your logistics and freight forwarding needs than Lila International Logistics, owned and run by West Ham fans. Lila, that's L-I-L-A, International Logistics, provides businesses with affordable import and export rates for sending and receiving products anywhere around the world, whether it be by air freight, sea freight, courier or road freight. Lila provide a bespoke service for shipments so you ain't being passed between departments and you have a direct contact at all times 24-7 for shipments. Check out their website at www.lilalogistics.co.uk for more info. You're listening to the West Ham Way podcast with Dave and X. Oi, oi! Hello and welcome to the West Ham Way podcast with myself, Dave Walker, an XWHU employee. It was a gut-wrenching finish at Old Trafford, which has once again sparked controversy. We'll be talking about the game, the officials, the return of Kurt Zuma, our lack of attacking options, Declan Rice and Rio Ferdinand before getting news from X and answering questions from patrons of the West Ham Way. That's all coming up on this week's show. It's quite difficult to talk about what I believe was a painfully boring game to watch and one that ended so bitterly for us. What did you think of the performance? Um, it's quite difficult to analyse. I think it was quite a non-existent game. I think both teams didn't really contribute to a, a good game. It was very uneventful, um, not really anything to talk about. Obviously, we were quite wet. Um, Wasted when we got there, which probably actually helped us out. I would have thought because the game, looking at the highlights, didn't look like it had many. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's just one of those games that typically that should have been a draw. Um, ends up with them snatching a controversial goal in the last minute. 
Yeah, and we'll come to that shortly. And you're quite right. It's quite a hard game to analyse because not much was really happening. Man United weren't at their best. I don't think we were at our best. So it's a strange old game, really. Apparently, we had six shots on target. I don't think I can remember any of them. Do you? On target? No, I remember a header. Not about it. Yeah, yeah, from Suchek. That's not, the one yeah. I remember. And again, I don't know how much alcohol has to do with that. Let's be honest. No. Um, but I certainly don't remember us having a, that amount of attempts, to be honest. But it was a funny old game. Um, for me, I remember thinking it's quite frustrating as to how sloppy we were at times on the ball. The number of misplaced passes from a short distance, I think was quite shocking at times. And I think ultimately counterattacks and set pieces were our best chance of getting a result, but we just wasn't good enough in that respect, which was disappointing. But once again, we have to talk about a controversial moment. And once again, it's a controversial moment that's gone against us. And that is, of course, a decision to give that goal in the 93rd minute. Give us your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's, I, I haven't seen a replay of it. So all I've seen is photos on, um, you know, where people have screenshotted it and stuff. And again, the, the bottom line is the rule is not very clear. That's the problem. Like the the, uh, the line shows in my eyes that maybe he was onside. Um, but, you know, you look at it from another angle, it looks like he's offside. And I've only seen pictures on Twitter. But there's this fact of the matter is that the rule is so, like, there's so debates, debates about these offside now that they need to do something to make it that it's a clear cut. You know, I, I think this usually, you know, is where's it is it a body part that you can score with? Is it come to that far ahead of the line? Blah blah. I think they should give the attacker like a grace period of like, you know, I don't know, two inches or three inches or whatever. If he's slightly off, then let it go. Just it's just getting stupid now. The controversy every single game. Yeah, and I think that's the point. I think it's it's so overcomplicated now, the offside rule. It's so overcomplicated to a degree that it's too overcomplicated for the officials. And I think that's the problem. I don't know why we had to fuck about of it so much. Back in the day, it was so clear cut. And that's the way it should be. I mean, look, I know I'm biased, right? For me, it's clearly offside. Unless there's there's an element of the rule that I don't know because I've just lost touch at how fucking overcomplicated this is these days. For me, it's clearly offside. And I don't even see how it's even a difficult decision. Cavani's hand is clearly offside, clearly. And I think it's disgusting the amount of time they took to review it as well. It was seconds. Yet if it was West Ham that would have scored that, it would have taken minutes. And make no mistake, I'm telling you, X, make no mistake, he would have given it offside as well if if West Ham would have scored that. 100%, 100%, mate, 100%. I mean, different pictures I look at. One I think is onside, one I think is offside. But you know full well if it had been the other way around, the decision would have been gone to um, Manchester United. And that's the frustrating thing. There's just no consistency ever with these officials. And, you know, it's just, I don't know, you almost feel like you're being cheated against. And that's what not should be happening. You know, this technology should have stopped that happening, not made it more possible. Mate, honestly, I feel really strongly about this. I think it's more evidence of corruption, more evidence of foul play, and more evidence of an agenda that's in place to make sure the top six belong to the so-called Super Six. Because that's how they want to market this division to the rest of the world and potential sponsors of domestic football in this country. It's fucking sickening, mate. Absolutely sickening. Um, I agree, mate. Do you know know what, though, X? I've given this some fault, right? And I actually think there's a simple solution to this controversy. Let the technology make the decision. 
Because at the moment, all it does is present the evidence. And technology these days is so advanced, right? If we could let the te technology make the decision, then the fuckwits at Stockley Park, <laughs> you don't need them. You don't need them yeah. to make the, those clear-cut decisions because look at goal line technology, right? Yeah. It's in flawless. In tennis as well, it's flawless because yeah. the technology is far more reliable than the human eye. Yeah. But, and listen, of course, if we're talking about decisions where another player was interfering with play or there was a foul in the run-up to the goal, then sadly that has to go to a human decision because it's more complicated. But for cases like yesterday where it's a black-and-white scenario of is Cavani offside when he receives the ball? Let the technology make the decision. But they won't do it, mate, because I honestly believe they want to use VAR for clubs like Man United and against clubs like West Ham. Yeah, well, I agree with you. I think you make a very good point there. The use of technology, because as we just said, tennis, they have Hawkeye, whether the ball's in or out, you know, that you rely on the technology to tell you that. Um, and obviously the technology is much more reliable than, than the human eye. Same with cricket, you know, whether the ball's hit the stumps or LBW or whatever, they use Hawkeye and that, and it works well then as well. I think you're right. I mean, something's got to be done because it's still got that element of bias and corruption and it, it still lends itself to like constant mistakes. And, and, and I just don't see what other solution there is, really. You either abolish it, maybe tighten up the rules, unless, I mean, you could argue, although I still think corruption would happen in this way, that you almost have referees that aren't English in Stockley Park. So you, I don't know, you bring in, I don't know if there's enough referees in the world, because obviously they'll be doing their own games and stuff, but you could almost go to a central hub somewhere that isn't based in the UK, is based in like somewhere else, so that hopefully bias is not there for a particular English team. But I don't even think it's that. I mean, it's the pressure that these organisations put on officials. So I think you're right, that, that, and maybe tightening up the rules around offside or making them, a bit more lenient to our side. Of course, you have to have offside so that the attacker doesn't goal hang. That's obvious. It would affect the whole pattern of football. But when it is literally, like you've said, a Nats cock in distance between the forward and the, the defender, it's not going to make a difference whether he scores that goal or not. Mm. So, like, I really, the defender's not going to get the ball. Um or he is going to get the ball. So just really just make the decision clear. Just make it a clear decision. But you know full well, like I said, like you said, that would have gone in Man United's favour. It would have done. It would have done 100%. And that is the problem. Because we've always said, to be fair, whilst I don't want the technology in football, the technology itself isn't the problem. It's actually quite effective in terms of the evidence that it provides. It's the fucking idiots that are using it. That's the problem. So when you're talking about the black and whites of is he offside or not, forget the, the more complicated decisions because we're going to need officials to look at that because unfortunately that's that's something that, that comes from, you know, rules within the game and, and human judgment. But when you're talking about the black and whites of is he offside, is he not, you cannot tell me with how advanced technology is these days that VAR can't make that decision for you. It doesn't make sense. You spend all this... This money, these millions and millions of pounds investing in VAR, just maximise it. You know, like goal line technology. Again, I keep going back to that. If the ball crosses the line, the technology makes that decision, gives the referee a little buzz on his wrist, and he knows straight away if it's a goal or not. No time wasted, no controversy, no arguments. It is what it is, and we need to do that 
for the offside rule. Either that or change it and make it so much more simpler than it is. Because at the moment, it's a joke. But I think, mate, I honestly think, and people are going to laugh, I think there are darker arts at work here. I really do. I think the technology, unfortunately, and that's a prime example of what happened at Old Trafford, is used to fit within an agenda for the Premier League. I really do believe that. And I know I sound like a fan with the ump. I promise you, I'm trying my best to to be as unbiased as I can when I have this argument. I honestly believe when you look at the fact that it was offside, you look at the fact that they put no fucking time into, into showing respect to West Ham to make a decision like that. It was, it was literally, I mean, how long did they look at it? 10 seconds, 15 seconds. How many times have we seen VAR looked at for fucking four or five minutes? And we didn't get that respect for a decision that I think was was wrong. I, 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 I was so angry with it, so fucking angry. But listen, let's just let's talk about something a bit more positive because I've got the ump five minutes into this podcast now, which ain't great. Declan Rice was typically Declan yesterday, wasn't he? Another superb performance from him, the best player on the pitch, in my opinion. 76% of Patreon votes gave him the man of the match award. Can you argue with that? Um, no, I think every game is the best plan now. Pretty much it's almost worth having a man of the match ward minus Declan, because it's not actually that interesting anymore, is it? Because pretty much every game, unless a player like Bowen scores a couple, is pretty much him. I think Zuma slotted in well, considering he'd been out for as long as he had, you know, and for it be a dodgy, controversial decision. Um, he would have kept a clean sheet at Old Trafford on his return. I thought Dawson looked a bit more steady alongside him. So you could argue Zuma possibly, but again, it's not really. I'm just trying to be different. Declan was the was the man of the match again. He's too good for West Ham, unfortunately, it seems at the moment, because if one player dominates the man of the match award as frequently as he does, it's almost like when we had Scott Parker, you know, and he won Football Writers Player of the Year, whatever it was, in a relegated side and Hammer of the Year three times in a row. Sadly, when one player wins it that much, that means their head and shoulders the better player, it's your best player in your team. And how long we can keep that back player that is head and shoulders better than the others happy is, is going to be interesting to say the least. But yeah, a world-class performance again from a world-class player. Mm, well said. I thought Ariola was decent yesterday. Um, yeah. Does he keep his place when Lucas <clears throat> is back or not? I think well, the next game's a cup game, isn't it? So he was likely to play that anyway. So I think you keep him in goal for the cup game against Kidderminster. And ironically, given the difference in status in the leagues, I think he might even be a bit more tested against Kidderminster than he was against Manchester United. Um, so especially in those first sort of 15, 20 minutes, you know, when the, the underdogs try and throw something at you and mix it up a bit, it'd be interesting to see how he coaches with that. So for the next cup game, I would definitely keep him in. And then, the league game after that I would judge it upon how he's done in that cup game to be honest with you I mean to be fair he's only got in the team because Fabianski had COVID you know something which we exclusively revealed only place that did um, and uh, he he is in the team because of that so by default I would imagine he will play the cup game because he's the cup keeper but Fabianski would be back for um, the league game after that yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Another positive was um, the return of Kurt Zuma, as you just mentioned. How good was it to see him back? Yeah, brilliant. Uh, I would say your your team, your three best players at West Ham are Declan Rice, 
Gerard Bowen and Kurt Zuma. So having one of your three players, best players back is um, essential. And yeah, he came back, didn't look like he'd been out for as long as he had. And um, yeah, happy days to have him back. Definitely, we're going to need him, that's for sure. Mm. I know this is a bit off track, but I want to ask you about Rio Ferdinand on social media, right? It's because funny. You're do that because I'll put that in one of the questions later. So, did but you? Let's, yeah, but let's go for it. I think we should go for it. And it yeah. definitely has to be addressed at some point, I think, yeah. because we all know his heart is with Man United. But yeah. he came through our academy. The fans looked after him when he played for us. And we looked after him when he played against us. So I really struggle with the lack of respect he gives West Ham at times. Do you? I mean, yesterday on Twitter, he's literally laughing at that decision. I always defended Rio, like as Rio was the sort of the first proper, world-class youngster. I can remember coming through the team, him and Lampard, but obviously I didn't rate Lampard as much at the time. You know, I got to know Rio a bit through the stuff he had to do, got to know Anton much better, but I always tried to defend Rio. I remember Rio was playing for England, I'd always say how class he was, I'd always say he's my favourite player, that's non, non-West Ham now. Um, like, you know, he always gave him a brilliant reception, and I've defended him, even up until recently, I've defended him. But that move... Um, like you've described there, the Twitter move for me, I think now was a straw that broke the camel's back. I've let everything else go up until that point and kind of said, well, you know, he's a, he, it's understandable. He's a big Man United fan. He won so much there. He was there for as long as he was. You know, that's why he talks about Man United all the time. That's why he wants to sign Declan Rice or whatever. I could let that go, even though it was annoying me. I let it go, but that decision, that decision of his to comment on the decision, almost mocking his brother, and on like you said, made me think, "What the fuck are you doing?" You know, you're clearly trying to antagonise your brother and West Ham fans. He's intelligent enough to know that that wouldn't have gone down well with West Ham fans. Um, so for me, I saw it as a piss take out of us, and actually now that's that's me done with him. Now I'm not going to defend him anymore. He's mad. United, he can be Man United if he wishes, but don't try to claim you're a big West Ham fan anymore. You've burnt that bridge, mate. Jog on. Yeah, well said, mate. And I'm pleased you said that. And I, I think the majority of West Ham fans feel the same now. And so we should, because it's a mug off. It's an absolute mug off. Yeah, and yeah. you couldn't get a bigger contrast between him and Anton. But like Anton loves West Ham and he respects the football club. And I think he feels privileged to have played with that badge on his chest. I don't know if with Rio, his ego has just shot through the roof and he thinks that he can still have that level of respect from West Ham fans while saying whatever he wants disrespectfully about the club. And like you, I, I haven't actually let it go, what you said in the past, but I haven't made a big deal of it think, oh, maybe it's a bit of banter or whatever. But, you know, it was still a bit of an eyebrow raiser when I heard that he was involved in the Pi Capital bid um, because I thought that in itself is just farcical. How can we have someone involved in a potential bid for the club that is so disrespectful to us? He's either taking the piss or he's he's publicly advising our best player to go and join Man United. And it just seems to be one thing after the other with Rio now. And I honestly get, like, I think I've got to a point now where if Rio is ever at the London Stadium doing punditry, I think, I think he should get booed. I think he should be made aware of what he's doing to West Ham fans because we're, we're no mugs. But he really is taking a liberty with this football club now, and he's doing it consistently. And like you said, and this is the thing that blows my mind, where is his intelligence? Like, Rio is not an idiot. And I think if I was Anton, I'd pull him and say, bruv, like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, you, you had a decent relationship with, with West Ham fans, 
but you're running the risk of fucking it up by doing shit like this. I don't know if Anton has said that to him, but he doesn't seem to give two shits. Almost like with the amount of different pops he has at West Ham and the level of disrespect, I don't know. I don't. It, it just seems so antagonistic with it. It's as if he has a problem with West Ham. It's so bizarre. And I know, you know, in the grand scheme of things, this ain't the biggest talking point of the show, but I did want to raise it because I, I think it's a piss take, really, and I'm pleased to see that you're in agreement with that. Oh, yeah, completely. And I mean, you know, we used to give Lampard um, stick when he left because he said he liked something in his early days. Bearing in mind, you know, Lampard was a lot younger. Um, he'd just been on the back of his dad and uncle being sacked. And, you know, West Ham fans giving him stick for, you know, getting in the team because of them. He came out and said he'd love to score the goal that relegated West Ham, or you know, he'd sit in the changing room and Joe Cole would be upset when West Ham lost, but he would he'd be happy. And we have never let him forget that. You know, he's you no know, big fat, big fat Frank continuously ribbed by West Ham fans. And in my eyes, he's actually came out reasonably recently and said, Yeah, he probably shouldn't have said those things. It was a reaction, you know, and as far as I'm aware, he's not said anything negative about West Ham for years now, whereas Rio. Ferdinand is continuously, like, like you said, linking Declan Rice to Manchester United, um, mocking us when like that decision goes in their favour. Um, I just don't know what he's playing at. You know, there's the argument that Anton loves West Ham because Anton's not played for anyone like like of the stature of Manchester United and stuff but I'm not but that's hypothetical and you can't blame Anton for that That, that's just the way it is but but I'd imagine that Anton would have seen that tweet surely and Anton understands West Ham fans I like how Anton talks about us when he's on radio and stuff Anton surely would have seen that and thought like what are you doing mate it's like if you quote tweeted something that I'd said and I looked at him for fuck me mate that's not good I'd call you up and I'd say mate you want to take that down or have a think about what you've just said there? Mm. Surely, surely Anton would have done that because there's nothing positive is going to come out of that. Man United fans aren't going to love him more for that. You know, Man United fans are going to go, ah, oh, brilliant. Rio took the piss out of his brother. They're going to fit. They already know he loves Manchester United. You know, that whole how mentally he went when Solskjaer won a few games on BT Sports. And, you know, it's so clear he's a Man United fan. So he doesn't need to establish that anymore. So what has he gained from this other than pissing West Ham fans off? Out of interest, I looked on the comments under that tweet that he did just to see how West Ham fans had reacted to it. And it was just literally, as you can imagine, you wanker, you're disrespecting prick, all that sort of stuff. And um, and to be honest, I'm not a person that agrees with sending people abuse online, but he, he completely deserved that. I, I don't know what he's thinking. It's just, it's very, very bizarre. It's almost like West Ham have done something to him that we don't know about to fuck him over. But it obviously can't be that bad because his brother doesn't have an issue with it. So God knows what it is. The Rio needs to get some priorities right because if you remember, I have to be a little bit careful what I say here because I don't know the ins and outs, but when Anton um, had the racism issue with John Terry, from memory, and I might be wrong, and I'd need to check my facts here, from memory, Anton didn't stick up for his brother. Anton just kind of went neutral and said, and didn't really do anything, and kind of sort of took a back seat on it. You know, that's for protecting your own brother against a very serious allegation, and he, and he didn't handle that properly. So he needs to have a real look at himself, and his PR, and his, um, his like, Matt, his self-promotion and stuff and think what the hell am I doing because he's basically isolating himself to just being a Manchester United 
person now, and he'll and that will be what he'll be forever now. Yeah, I mean, look, he's a South London boy. He's not East London. He's a South London boy, as is Anton, from a working class family. And look, if he wouldn't have made it at West Ham, he'd have made it anywhere because he was just an unbelievable talent. But the fact of the matter is, he did make it at West Ham. We did give him that break at a very young age. And I just think, I don't know. The reason I talk about him coming from South London from a working class family is that typically you would be, you'd be true to your roots. You'd be humble, you know, because people from that background always are. But it just seems like his ego's just gone through the roof. And it just, I don't know, he's, he has a sort of aura about him that he can walk on water and do and say whatever he wants to the wrong people, really. You know, he's antagonising the football club that that started this journey for him. And uh, just what why I think it's so bizarre is because we had Anton on the podcast and, uh, and Anton said, listen, believe me, believe me, Rio loves West Ham, absolutely loves West Ham. It's a lot of bollocks. Because no one that loves West Ham will be behaving the way he's behaving. It's so strange. And you talk about Frank Lampard loving West Ham and growing up as a West Ham fan. And he was never seen in any pictures without uh, wearing the kit. You know, he was proper West Ham. Well, he was still proper West Ham up until he said those comments. Because like you said, he only said those comments in reaction to the way West Ham fans were treating him. But Rio doesn't have an excuse. The whole thing's really bizarre. And I don't think we should harp on about it and make it the centre point of this podcast, but I, I, I feel I feel really angry by him. I feel I think yeah. Gates are taking a fucking piss, to be honest. I do, and it's really annoying like they've done that because I have fond memories of Rio. I have really mm. fond memories of him, you know, when he broke through the team. I thought he was class, some away days when he was brilliant, you know, we've seen chants about him. Then when he got into the England team, you know, again, you want to dig out some of his past, you know, he got Bad. He, he got he's gonna make his England debut under Glenn Hoddle and then he got done for drink driving or something, didn't he? So he didn't get um he didn't get he got taken out of his first squad. He had that iron napper <laughs> sex tape that got leaked and stuff. He was then banned for nine months for missing a drugs test. Mm. So he's got a, he's got this misplaced arrogance. He needs to really like have a think and, and like he's going to end up being a sort of J- John Terry type character where other than Manchester United fans, everyone else dislikes him. And um, I agree. I think we should move on. All I can say if I met Rio, I would say this to him. I would actually say to him, mate, listen, I thought you were a class player for West Ham. I thought you were a class bloke, but your way you've been speaking to West Ham recently, I don't know what you're playing at. And I would love to say it to him, I almost, like, because obviously we've had Anton on the show and Anton follows me on Twitter and the West Ham way on Twitter and so on. We've had him at events and stuff. I almost contacted Anton and just said to him, mate, we need to get your brother on the show and we need to have a, a real chat with him about his, like, allegiance to West Ham. But I just thought, what's the point? He's never, he's never going to agree to it, is he? So I didn't bother in the end. But mm. someone needs to put that question to him. Mm-hmm. The home support for Man United is fucking pony, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw a few people message us saying they thought it was brilliant, but I think what the what the confusion is is when you have seventy thousand people, it sounds a lot louder than fifteen thousand. But there's no there's no atmosphere there really at all. It felt really negative that first half. I just I I can't even really remember anything about it honestly, and I know I was steaming but yeah i've been steaming a game before i've been able to remember things you know mm. whereas i couldn't 
really remember anything. And that it was just such a stale game. And the Man United fans just don't help things. I mean, look at them. I'm a bit of a rant now. <laughs> look at them at the end of the game when they're coming up to us, like constantly. You know, we got we got held a police segregation line right next to the police that was stopping majority of Man United fans having a go at Man United fans. <laughs> I don't know what the police were thinking, <laughs> stopping everyone. I said, I said to the police officer, this shows, I was drunk, so I'd never usually do this sort of stuff. I said to the police officers, do your effing jobs. What are you doing? You're standing here stopping us from going there, and there's Man United fans right next to me. I said, look, he's got a Man United scarf on, he's got a Man United shirt on. Then I pointed over the line and said, he's got a Man United shirt on. They're all abusing each other. They're standing there <laughs> filming us, shouting in our face, uh, you cockney mug, stick your bubbles up your arse. Manchester United fans, you beat West Ham United 1-0 in the last minute for a controversial goal. My, how the mighty have fallen. I cannot believe how much they were celebrating that as if it was like a World Cup final. Mm. You know, yes, celebrate it. Yes, you're going to mock the opposition a bit. But my God, how over the top was it? Unbelievable. Oh, it was. Sad. It was. Sad. Like we met two really good lads on the train up there, um, the Manchester United fans, and we were talking about the history and how good they were you know, in the 90s and the 2000s and stuff. And, you know, we were sort of reminiscing a little bit about how the mighty have fallen then. But to actually see it in f- f- the flesh like that, my God, and the police, seriously, I'm going to get myself arrested at the end of this podcast, but they, they need to really, really question what the hell were they doing? Honestly, mm. like fucking mm. 10 of them standing, blocking in people from... And I was saying to move those people on, you know, and then they pin some bloke to the floor. It's an absolute shambles, really, isn't it? It was a shambles, and you're quite right, mate. They they celebrated it like a Champions League final win. It was incredible. Yeah. And do you know what makes you laugh? On our train journey up to Manchester, there were more Man United fans on the journey from London than fucking West Ham. Am I wrong? Yeah, you're right, mate. Absolutely. On our carriage, there was. Oh, definitely, mate. And like uh, the thing is, to, like you know, they're lucky they've got trains that go that fast. I mean, what it took two hours, twenty minutes, or whatever it was to get up there. So actually, the grand scheme of things is pretty much how much it takes me to get to the London Stadium from Essex. By the time I've driven, parked in Westfield, walked to the stadium and stuff. But if it weren't for those trains, you know, those fans travelling all that way to go and support a team just because, you know, they're a big team and then they go and mock fans supporting their local side and stuff. And of course, it's not all Man United fans. You know, there are Man United fans that have been born in Manchester and their families support Man United forever. But all those ones probably that we saw fucking weren't. You know, you can tell they were just there for a day out and stuff. Um, just uh, wound me up. I actually used to semi-respect Manchester United purely because when I became a football fan they were just so good but the way that whole game the stewarding the behaviour of the fans afterwards made left me with a very bitter taste mm. in my mouth which mm. wasn't the Jager bombs it was a yeah well you've only got to look at that fucking where's Wally looking cunt that turned up at a burger review you know oh, I mean right. that says it all I said to him why do you support Man United mate why do you support Man United and his, his answer, for those that haven't seen it, was, my favourite colour's red. And I thought, well, fuck me, I'll rest my case. Do you know what I mean? And the thing is, fucking donut. your favourite colour's red will support Charlton then. Yeah, you know, like, exactly, exactly. You know, you know, it's just ridiculous. Wrexham, he was Welsh, Wrexham playing red. <laughs> you know, like, why does it have to be the biggest club in the world? Yeah. Like, yeah. 
Yeah. Oh no, it was it was funny though. A lot of frustrating ninety minutes with a infuriating end to the game. But as always, it was um it was a really good weekend. We we had a good laugh, didn't we? To be fair, we did. Well, aside from me naming the wrong team, I wasn't going to dwell on it too much. But uh, <laughs> everyone yeah. that I know, everyone on Patreon has got my back and stuff. But clearly, I typed the wrong name. Well, I, you wouldn't write Zuma starts. And then not put him in a bloody team afterwards. Mm. Um, and I sent it to everyone. And, you know, drunk state typed it wrong. And that annoyed me because that went on for ages to troll him back. There you go. Those reasonable people can tell that was a mistake. Yeah, of course. And of you course. saw the team anyway. So like, yeah, 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 of course. Of course, uh, absolutely, mate. And even the unreasonable people knew it was a mistake, but they're just having their, uh, their bit of fun, aren't they, as they often yeah. do. Yeah. Um, mate, when you look at the game, and you look at the fact that when Man United were trying to win it, they brought on Cavani and they brought on Rashford. And when we were trying to win it, we brought on Fredericks. Again, I know we say this every single week, but it does highlight the real need to bring players in. Now, obviously, I've got to be careful not to step on your toes in the next section. But we are now on the 24th day of the January transfer window and no senior players have come through the door. Now, obviously, I'm not comparing the levels of spend between Man United and West Ham. But it is a real problem, isn't it? Without going to specifics of how close we are or we're looking to sign, if at all, the the, the fact of the matter is we do need bodies through that door, don't we? And and it's getting slightly worrying now. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%, mate. I mean, we've got one striker. We've had one striker for pretty much two seasons now. I mean... That in itself is not good enough. It really isn't because Antonio is not on form. And again, this is coming in my section, but I've already put it on Patreon. Antonio is due to play three games for Jamaica. By the time we next play our next game against Kidderminster, you know, he's going to fly out to um, the Caribbean and he's got Mexico, Panama and Costa Rica. And the final game, which I think is the Costa Rican one, is two days before our cup game. The guy is absolutely shattered. He needs a rest. He's not on form. And yet we have no other option but to continuously play him. And thankfully, he hasn't got injured yet. But I don't, I just don't see how we can continue in this situation. And then you look at the centre-back situation. You know, Zuma's back. Brilliant. But if he goes again, we're back to Dawson and Europe, who have looked dodgy together. So at a minimum, a minimum, we need a centre-back and a forward. Uh, and... And at the moment, as of now, there isn't anyone looking particularly close. I mean, they're in, as I said, I don't want to say too much, it's coming in my section, but at the moment, we haven't got anyone. And there is a week left. And Moyes tends to do his business at the end of the window. You know, you think about the last one, Zuma, Flasic and Crow all came in the last few days. Bowen came through on transfer deadline day. Um, there's been other examples. So there is time. But they have to get it sorted. They have to. Yeah, they do. And the thing is, you know, they, they, there's been so many months in the run-up to the transfer window where we could have had a, a proper shortlist of players and made real progress in trying to bring those players in. Now, maybe behind the scenes, we are working around the clock. I don't know. So it is speculation. But if if we go for this transfer window, and don't sign players that we're happy with, players that we need that can really help us sustain what has been a really good season so far. Uh, firstly, I've got to look at... Uh, you'd have to look at Moisey, wouldn't you? Listen, I, I don't want to be too disrespectful towards him because I love him and I trust him. But you'd have to look at Moisey. 
you'd have to look at the board to a degree, even though I think, I think the board aren't necessarily standing in his way from what I understand. But you definitely have to look at Rob Newman as well, because if, if no one comes in in January, then he's basically nicking a fucking living out of West Ham, as far as I'm concerned. And then, of course, you might have to look at Kratinsky, because, you know, big, big noise was made of him and he, the, the, the fact that he's bought a, a big stake in West Ham now. And, you know, he's made some bold statements in terms of his ambitions for the football club. So for that reason, I'm not necessarily sure I, I really buy in too much to the fact that January is a really difficult month to do business. That might be a fact, but with Kratinsky coming in especially and, and the know-how and nous of Newman coupled with David Moyes and what he wants, I will be a little bit flabbergasted if we don't do some business that we're all happy with as fans. Yeah, I agree. I, I think they will bring someone in. I can't because there's just going to be such a... Uh, a shift in um, positivity if they don't. It'll be a, a West Ham fans, you know, will rightly be annoyed. All fans should be. Listen, it doesn't mean you don't respect what David Moyes has done in terms no, of no. performance and stuff, but rightly so. We're pushing for Europa League, which requires a decent-sized squad. We're still in the FA Cup, where we will be at the close of the transfer window, and we're pushing for Champions League still. Fourth place is still obtainable. This is the best position West Ham have ever been in, like pretty much since I can remember. So, yeah, brilliant. Well done, boys. I guess you give the board credit as well because it's all a team thing. Well done, everyone. We've got us this position. But if you then can't bring in someone and nothing happens and you fall away, well, then criticism is deserved, I think. doesn't mean you want the manager sacked. doesn't mean you want Moyes out, but you have to start to think, well, you know, you had your chance there. Yes, I agree with him. You want to get the only players in that are better than what you have. But let's be honest, at the moment, there's got to be a hell of a lot of forwards out there that are better than an unfit Antonio that's not scoring. It's not like he's banging them in constantly, he's fit, he's not going to get injured. Uh, having a forward that may get you two or three goals, even if it's on loan, is better than having no one, surely. Yeah. And this yeah. is and this is my issue. Of course, you don't want to bring in a forward on shitloads of money. Uh, for 40 million that you're not convinced on. You know, I get that. You're not going to do that. But there must be someone out there you can take a punt on from the lower leagues or abroad or someone you can get on loan or someone. If you get a loan agreement for a forward and it doesn't work out, well, then you bin him off at the end of the season. Or at least you've got some sort of cover, even if it's just an extra body, even if he just doesn't score a goal and yet he comes on and that has an all right game, links the play up a little bit. Now, at least that gives Antonio a rest for some of the games. But um, yeah, you, you've got to recruit players. There is the argument that it's hard. You look through the whole of the window uh, and, and all the activity of the other clubs and barely any other club, aside from Newcastle and Villa, have really spent a great deal of money on all done anything so there is that argument and there is still time but if come the end of the window there isn't at least one player maybe two three in then yeah i can west ham fans have a right to be disappointed with that mm, yeah i totally agree i totally agree but let's hope there is um because a slight concern of mine and and it's a it's a it's a fair debate and we've debated it ourselves on this show is that Jared Bowen could play up front, for example. Now, I think he could lead the line well. You know, he's a good finisher. I think he's got he's got the right movement. I think he can, um, obviously, he can play on the wing, but I think he can 
bring his skills as a player and 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 quite comfortably play up front on his own. That's not a problem. But of course, the problem is if you do that, and this is what I was trying to explain to Martin Allen when we posed the question to him, what you gain from Jared Bowen up front, you then lose in midfield. And that's the problem. You know, you could put Declan Rice as centre-half and he'll probably be our best centre-half, but then you lose him from midfield. So I think we either have to sign a striker to compete with Antonio or give Antonio a rest when he needs it, or we sign a winger, a pacey winger, like a Traore, for example, and then Bowen can play up front because he's then substituted by a Traore in midfield. So we're not losing anything there, you know? But, I mean, fuck me, I'm not being funny. I accept the fact that it's not a great month to do business. I do. But it's not impossible, especially when you're bringing in someone like Rob Newman, who really, his only existence, reason, his purpose, professional purpose for being here is to look at players, recommend players. That's all he's doing around the clock. And not just from January. He should have been doing this for the past fucking three or four months. So, yeah, I find that very hard to accept if we draw a blank in January. I really do. Because as I've said to you before, X, you've also got to look at the bigger picture. If we don't sign players to bolster the squad, you're only then increasing the chances of losing your best players, like yeah. Declan Rice. Whereas if you do make a statement of intent, and maybe you do pay slightly over the odds for certain players that you know can come in and do a job. That is a statement of intent. That is a, a better shot at sustainability for, for cracking the top six and, dare I say, the, t- the top four, winning a trophy, winning the FA Cup, progressing in Europe. You know, it's, it's, it's fantastic that as a football club we've got to this point, but we can't just take our foot off the gas because we're here. We've got to go to another gear and really kick on. And there are people at the football club that can make this happen. So make it fucking happen, you know? I totally agree with what you just said. And at the end of the day, like you said, you're right. What's Rob Newman been doing? You know, like I don't understand that clubs, I understand that clubs don't want to sell and stuff, but that's what we need to have researched before we've got to this point. You know, like we should know which players could be available, which could be not. Um, And it it is worrying. I mean, at the end of the day, we can't say for certain we could be sitting here in a week's time celebrating five new signings. Of course. I don't think think we will be, but obviously it's hypothetical at the moment. So we need to reflect on it in a a week's time. And And it is exactly a week from now. Well, not exactly, but the deadlines on Monday in the evening. So, you know, we'll, we'll be sort of covering that on the page and stuff but if we get to you know midnight on on monday stroke tuesday uh morning and we haven't got we haven't got a player then you really do have to worry 100 percent. i've been told the money's available so it's not a question of money mm. um it's just getting the right person in and you know i'll bring more in my section but um it, w- it would be frustrating if we didn't have anyone 100 okay well let's do exactly that let's go to your section now To listen to the rest of this podcast, you need to be a patron of the West Ham Way. 
Becoming a patron couldn't be easier. Just visit www.patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash the West Ham Way and confirm your subscription to get full access to the West Ham Way podcast, our second weekly show called the West Ham Way podcast, Extra Time, classic clips of audio and video interviews, exclusive news from X, match day team news before anyone else, an exclusive forum, live Q&As with myself and X, monthly prize draws, discounts on events and merchandise, and behind-the-scenes content, all of which for just £5 a month. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a drama coach to be an IT guy. Yeah, I'm having trouble logging in. I'm not buying it. Say it again, this time with feeling. I can't log in? Come on, man, I want to feel your struggle. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Now, like your life depends on it. I can't log in. Yes, we'll make an actor out of you yet. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. Switching and saving with GEICO is easy. So you're free to ponder life's big questions. Like why do people say it goes without saying and then say it anyway? I mean, if it really goes without saying... You should instead not say it and just give a knowing look? Well, folks, it goes without saying. Uh, what does? The thing that I'm not going to say. Okay. Switch and save with Geico. It's easier than you think. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.